coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting. The International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Our guest, author and renowned hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner, Lorraine Flaherty, lives life to the fullest, opening doors many would not have dreamt to open. Her latest book, Healing with Past Life Therapy, Transformational Journeys Through Time and Space, uses sound principles and dozens of real-world examples to empower readers to achieve deep and profound healing. By exploring their multidimensional self, readers will journey through past and parallel lives and make the changes required to put their lives on the most successful path. You are now listening to the International Taz Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Paula, Lorraine must have had a ball reliving and putting these stories within the pages of her book. They are wonderful and sometimes downright hilarious. Um, Awakening stories about her childhood and adult years, plus actual stories of life-changing events that her clients experienced actually relinquishing their tied-up feelings and awakening to a new life, being um, able to step outside the box, so to speak. Well, it's always interesting to hear people's life stories and the stories they grew up with and the tone that rules and regulation sets in their lives for their future. However, with Lorraine's past life therapy and, I think, future life therapy, uh, there's a possibility for some uplifting changes. Lorraine, you're calling all the way from the UK today. We are so happy to have you with us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, welcome. Were you raised uh, as a child to believe in reincarnation and past lives? Uh, well, I was raised in a Catholic uh, environment, so it wasn't really... Uh, very high on the agenda, although I was quite lucky because my parents were both quite open and um, and believed that there was more to life. And uh, in my early years, I do remember my mother going to spiritual circles that um, I would sit outside and wait for her. So I didn't go in because uh, I wasn't old enough, but she would tell me the stories of things that had happened. So I was, I was very aware that there was more, and I, I sensed it anyway. I think I intuited as a, a small child I was able to um, see and sense things. So I, I knew there was more to us than uh, the stories that I was being told from the Catholic environment and the people that were there. How old yes. were you that you remember this taking place? Um, probably 
eight or nine, maybe. Very interesting. And I, I was reading your book, and when was it that you actually had this experience with a Catholic church? And you know, the the plate being passed in the, around in the church. Oh, with the with the priest that tried to strangle me because he thought I was a communist. Um, oh no! Yeah, I was. <laughs> I was quite young. Um, I think I was around 10 or 11 years old, as, as, you know, I have time distortion and the memories get a bit hazy, but it was around that age. And um, it, was, it was at the age where I had tried to believe in it. I had tried to be a good Catholic. I had, I, you know, visions of being a nun maybe when I got older, but I kept seeing cracks. I kept seeing um, flaws in their arguments and in their stories and the beliefs that they were trying to get us to uphold. And... Um, and particularly this idea that uh, uh, you know, they were just constantly asking for money. And um, it seemed that money was the answer to everything in their world. You know, if we, um, if we gave them money, then they would absolve us of our sins. And, uh, and then we could speak to God through them. But, of course, I didn't perceive that they were being very godly themselves. And I was really curious as to why I would need to have them as an intermediary. Because as a young child, I, I figured that, um, you know, having not really committed any sins, I could talk to him myself, which is what I always wanted to do. Wow. Now, have you so, doing, you, uh, past, I was going to ask, uh, doing past life therapy on yourself, were you a nun at one time? Uh, yes. <laughs> I think I've had several lifetimes that have been um, involved in a religious order and there seems to have been quite a theme through my past lives where I wouldn't conform and do what I was told so I do remember one particular past life as a nun when um, my parents gave me to the convent because I was a, a sort of difficult child who probably asked too many questions and they couldn't <laughs> handle me and, um, and, and so they thought that the convent would be able to straighten me out and um, the mother superior was incensed by my constant, you know, need to know and running around in nature and, and, and just very um, sort of vibrant nature. And uh, it was a silent order. So they were trying to keep me quiet, which wasn't really going to work, because particularly if my soul energy is the same as it is now, uh, talking is something that um, <laughs> I enjoy doing quite a lot. And, uh, and, and so they tried to beat it out of me. They tried to beat me into silence, and, um, and I still wouldn't behave. And I remember they locked me up in a very small cell in this lifetime, and, uh, and I just imagined that I was outside, and I sang to myself inside the, the cell, which drove them crazy, because I was supposed to be suffering, and I refused. And in the end, they got so incensed with me that they shaved my head, and they, they, they battered me, and they beat me to death in the end, because they just couldn't oh, knock no. the spirit out of me. So it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't the best of lives, but I've forgiven them all now, because I see how crazy I must have driven them all. <laughs> <laughs> Ah. Oh, it's pretty amazing how our souls kind of, from what you're saying is then, our souls kind of follow a pathway. And, um, you know, it's interesting that you became a nun, even with the way that your thinking process was. Mm. And, you know, it, you kind of wonder what what this all sets up. Maybe it sets up other people being able to um, rethink maybe the patterns that they have in their life. What do you think about this? 
absolutely. I think that our soul essence has uh, has its own personality, and I do believe that as a soul, we're working through particular themes. You know, I believe that we have a soul group that we are connected to, and each soul within that that group will be working on on particular uh, particular different challenges. And I'd say my soul group are, are, are you know particularly working on um, on communication and uh, and expression and um, and sharing knowledge. And of course, along the way, it means that you have to experience all the different versions of that. So from being silenced to uh, you know maybe being punished, at the same time being celebrated. You know you're going to have the contrast, the the, the good and bad, on all sides of that. So in the work that I've done so far, uh, it's a question that I do ask in the transformational part of the, the, the therapy session to find out what a person's soul group is working on. And again, there are a lot of light bulb moments when they find out because it then explains why they've been experiencing recurring patterns in their lives. So for me, uh, you know, communication, uh, being a teacher, sharing knowledge and information, it's always something that I've fallen into whether it was something I'd chosen or not. Um, but for many people, they may have difficulties in, in relationships or they might have difficulties with um, money or various different things. And again, it may all go back to uh, the thing that their soul group is trying to work on. That's interesting. You, you're working as an individual soul and you are also working as a soul group with others. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. And, of course, when we come into the earth plane to, to live out our life experience and to uh, accomplish whatever mission we've set for ourselves, we need other players. We need other people to assist us, to help us, either to support us along the way or to test us, to challenge us. And what I find in the sessions with people is that very often it's the same key souls from the soul group that will come back to play those major parts. And they're not always... You know, often it's not it's not the, the the loving roles that they play. Often our closest soulmates will be the ones that will volunteer to come and test us, to challenge us the most. So, is it possible to go back and change a past life um, in order to uh, make this life smoother? Well, that's part of the work that we do. Uh, in the um, therapy session because I, I, I don't ever take people back just to see who they were. Uh, we always go back to find out what the meaning was in the life and then see what repair work we can do, which usually means getting a sense of understanding for the people that played the roles in those lives. And when we have understanding, when we know why, either they murdered us or they betrayed us or well, you know, why that experience happened, and often it's uh, about people taking personal responsibility to acknowledge that they chose to have that experience so their soul could grow or it could balance of something that was done to that soul in another life that that balancing that understanding means that we can forgive the people that were in those lives and with that forgiveness comes freedom and it's really important that um, I find out in the session uh, the contracts or agreements that were made, because often people will say, well, uh, you know, I'll agree to be tested to see if I can, you know, I did a session with somebody yesterday and she was tested to see whether she could still uh, survive in the face of adversity and could she still love herself 
no matter what. And she ended up in a, a, a lifetime where she'd been burnt uh, very badly, uh, had been a, a, a very um, ambitious young man and a sailor on a warship in the 1500s. But the, the burning meant that he was very disfigured and, as a result, outcast. And in that particular lifetime, he gave up. He, he couldn't he, he couldn't go on, even though there were people volunteering to help and healers came forward and, you know, his state of mind, he just decided that he, he couldn't bear it. So this challenge, this test of, of being able to love self, no matter what the packaging was, in a way he'd almost failed. He died uh, embittered and, and, and sad. And, and in her current life, she was running a similar pattern. She'd had a, a, a very intense trauma midway through her life and she'd struggled ever since with uh, feeling as though she was good enough or, or worthy or able to survive. And of course we were able to see that it was the same pattern running through, that the residue of this contract that she'd set, this agreement that, to be tested, was still running. And we saw that actually she'd, she'd survived in this life. You know, she hadn't given up completely even though she wasn't doing so well. So we recognised that in surviving she'd ticked that box you know, she'd fully had that experience. She had managed to survive and still love herself regardless. So she no longer needed to run the contract. So we were able to get rid of it. We were able to destroy that contract, clear it out of her energy field, and she was able to rewrite a new contract, a new agreement for herself, which said that she would honour, love and value herself. And what that means is that it shifts, it changes, not just for that one lifetime, but it changes the, the vibrational frequency, the energy of all the lifetimes, because they're all linked all the lifetimes that her soul has been going through. And of course that means that she has the potential to run that life as the sailor differently. So she got to go back and see what that life would have been like if she'd been given permission to love, honour and value herself. And it meant that she actually, uh, she still chose to have the, the burning experience, but she allowed the people to help her and she allowed the healing. And actually it turned out that one of her core soul group members was the healer. And, uh, and they were able to uh, work out some incredible herbs that helped with burning, which meant that they were able to go on and help other people in that life who had suffered in the same way. So it was, it was really rewarding at the end. So, yes, we, we can. We can go back and change things. Well, that's Does interesting. Does that mean that, that people can forgive? Um, I, I wonder if, if you're in a particular situation, can you forgive the people within your environment and and that pattern be changed then without having to go through back all through the you know your past lives well of course especially when we're doing it at a soul level which is what happens when we're working in the um the, the past life work we we've actually traveled up into the the interlife space if you like the space between lives so when you work on a soul level to to, to clear and release yes absolutely and it's often people will recognize characters from their past lives as people that are with them in their current life and when they forgive the soul on that soul level and they change the contracts and they rewrite the the, the agreements that they have with one another often really extraordinary changes occur back in the real life plane with those souls even though there may not have been any interaction or words said between them here in their earthly life but the shifts are huge. They really are profound. So, yeah, absolutely, it can change the, the whole dynamic between people. So not only are you healing yourself, you're healing the whole group. 
you're healing the whole group, which is incredible, but I really believe that in doing this work, as each person heals, it's like a ripple in a pond effect. And I do believe as each person lessens the guilt and lets go of all the, the, the negative emotions that they don't have to hold on to, it lightens their energy. And I believe that that has uh, an ongoing impact on the whole world, on the whole universe, really, because it's like that butterfly effect. Each piece that gets healed gives permission for more healing and it, it, it's just ongoing really so as we heal one strand does another strand or another level come up often that can be the case uh, but it depends I mean the, the the way I try to work is to see if we can find the um, the the root or the the sort of the, the source the key uh, area or element of that that person's soul energy that needs to be healed and very often that healing provides almost like a domino effect because as you heal the major hurt or the major wounds then the others are kind of soothed the others are healed as a result so i guess that that question is very much dependent on um how much healing an individual soul needs because it may be possible to clear all the wounds uh, within that work, or if there are other key significant ones, then yes, sometimes other things will emerge. And I see it as a bit like a spiral, uh, an ongoing upward spiral, that as you clear one layer, uh, it enables people to move up to to the next step, if you like. So sometimes the challenges are bigger the harder you climb or the higher you climb. Uh, But I know that um, within this work, People are never confronted with anything more than they are ready to handle or ready to deal with. So, Did you study Edgar Cayce? He always interests me. I did, many years ago, yes. Uh, I do mention him in the book. His work was, was quite extraordinary. And um, when, I was, when I was much younger, I was always really fascinated by the idea of people that could uh, access other areas of consciousness to get information. And so I knew, even from an early age, that at some point I would be uh, exploring uh, whether it was, and I didn't know whether it was going to be meditation or hypnosis or, or what it was going to be uh, in those early years. But um, yes, he he definitely inspired me all those years ago. I know when I was a teenager, uh, he just I loved reading about him. So. Mm. Um, I have a question about soulmates. Do we all have a soulmate, or...? Yes, that's a great question, and it's one that I get asked a lot, and uh, it's why I I devoted a whole chapter to it in the book. Um, Because there's a misconception, I believe, that that people have, that we only have one soulmate. And often people are... They're they're kind of waiting for the one that I put in inverted commas. And... um, my belief is that actually, uh, as opposed to having one soulmate, I believe that we have many. And our soulmates are the, the, the ones that will make up our core soul group. And it means that they can come back with us and, and volunteer to be with us in, in many different lifetimes, playing different roles. And so sometimes they come in as lovers, but often our soulmates will come in as siblings or they may come in as uh, parents. They may even come in as business partners or or key people that have an impact, that have an influence on our lives. 
And often our soulmates aren't designed to stay for the long term. They're, they're often designed to come in to assist, to help us to learn a lesson. And once we've learned that lesson, very often uh, they will move on. They will move out of the space in order to enable another lesson or another learning to come in. That's not mm-hmm. to say that sometimes the soulmates might come in and the lesson might be to see if you can have an enduring, uh, loving relationship for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I so think sometimes soulmate... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, actually, a soulmate say, could be an ex-husband or a wife. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, 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 okay. Oh, could a soulmate be an ex-spouse uh, and yes, you've learned your absolutely. lesson and they moved on? Absolutely. Uh, as I said, my belief is that our soulmates are the ones that come in to help us to learn and grow. And so often it's the people that challenge us the most who end up being our soulmates. And so sometimes we find that um, you know, people that have, have you know, it, it, what we may conceive or, or perceive to have been hurt us or, or done bad things, but you know, we, we overcame it and we, we got stronger and we became more resilient and we moved on. And uh, often people will think, well, they hurt me, so they couldn't possibly be my soulmate. You know, my soulmate, if I find them, it's going to be living happily ever after. And I really don't believe that's the case. Um, so, yes, I do think that um, soulmates will, will come in and out and play a variety of different roles for us. And um, usually the ones that hurt us the most will take that box. Now, is there a difference between soulmate and twin flame? Yes, that that was the point that I was going to come on to. Okay. Yeah, because, uh, again, sometimes I think when people are looking for a a soulmate, um, where they believe that there is this connection, this other part of themselves that they've lost, sometimes I believe that the soul energy will will choose to split and, uh, and come down to the earth plane. Uh, in, in more than one body, because the, the soul energy can split as, as many times as it as it wants to, and so sometimes there will be two beings on the earth plane that come from, if you like, if you, you know, if I give an analogy, it's like two peas coming out of the same pod, so it's the same energy, but in different bodies. And again, there was a bit of a misconception though, because a twin soul, I think a lot of people believe that they are going to be your love partner, but again, a twin soul may not necessarily be. Uh, a loved one necessarily or a, a romantic partner um, I, I know that through the years I've, I've come across this where people have been searching and, and aware that they had a, a missing part of themselves and then they found that person and actually they weren't meant to be their lover at all but um, their soul had just chosen to see life from different perspectives from different points of view I had one client in particular uh, a few years ago and um, she had chosen to come in as a young girl uh, and one part of her soul energy had chosen to be born into a very wealthy family and at the same time she came in being born into a very poor family in fact she was orphaned and left destitute and uh, what was really interesting was that in that life the destitute girl ended up being adopted by the wealthy family so these two girls came together and it was very confusing when we were doing the past life because she was flitting in and out of both characters and I'd never experienced anything like this before so I couldn't quite work out what was going on but the wealthy young girl was very spoiled and ended up 
uh, th- there was a tragic accident and the other young girl killed, that the wealthy girl may have been partly responsible for because she wasn't really looking after her. And it was only when we got up to the transformational part of the session, to the therapeutic part, that we realised what had happened. And, uh, and of course, you know, there was a, a, a huge amount of forgiveness that had to happen when these two elements of the, the, the soul came back together and one realised that you know, her resentment and jealousy had uh, caused the end of, of the, the other young girl's life. So, yes, absolutely. Twin souls do exist, but not always love partners. Well, that explains uh, one past life I had. It was so okay. confusing. Right. I, I was a I was a couple, but I couldn't tell if I was the female or the male. It was seemed like uh, I was flitting back and forth. Yes, and so that, that explains it. Yes, so it probably it, it probably means that you were both of them. <laughs> right, that's what I felt like when I was uh, I went back in yeah. my life. I couldn't figure out which one I was. Absolutely, so yes. Well, that's really interesting. I mean, there's some people um, that I've known, actually a couple of um, ladies that have had their twin um, flame. And you know what? They, The husband only lived maybe a year or two and then died. And they had that, they had such a great experience with, with that person. And then they just kind of went on to another realm. Right. How yeah. that yeah, very interesting, yeah. Giving, giving them an opportunity that was quite pleasant. And, yes. uh, yeah. Yeah, and again, now, it depends on the agreement that was made before they came down, because it may well be that, you know, because I do believe that in order to stay on our life path and to complete the mission that we agreed, that sometimes we need a little bit of help, because, of course, we come down onto the earth plane with complete amnesia. We have no memory, we have no recall of what we agreed to do. And so often souls will volunteer to just turn up at the right time and provide us with uh, an awareness or a, a, you know, a reminder of who we really are and what we're supposed to be doing. And so in that particular case, it may well have been agreed and, and probably would have been in advance that that twin flame would literally just come down, allow that person to experience unconditional love so that they remembered what that was like. And, and and then may well have agreed that um, they would then leave, and uh, and that person would would continue onwards without them. Now, well, uh, then, when you then, work with, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, then they have the experience, um, and, and they know what it feels like, so that they can share it with others, maybe. Absolutely. And again, it could be a variety of different reasons. It could be just that, that they know what love feels like. And, and, and so that keeps them going. They, they have that awareness of unconditional love. Or it may be that their challenge, the test that they set for themselves, was to see if they could survive without their loved one, to see if they were strong enough to, uh, to, to remain in that state of unconditional love and to continue on on their own. So very often things like that happen. Sometimes people think it's a punishment. You know, why has somebody been taken away from them? And yeah. often it's not. It's just a test of resilience and, and courage and strength. Wow. That sounds like that when a child is taken away from a parent. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, again, you know, when, when, and I've had quite a few clients that have had that experience, and most of them, if you, if you were to ask them uh, about the fact that if they had known in advance that that child would be taken away, 
would they still choose to, to have them just for that short period of time? And I think that you'll find in, in 99% of cases the parent would always say yes because the, the joy that they got from them. I know my cousin recently quite tragically lost a little boy and um, they said that... The, the, the gift that they received from that child and the, the love that they had, they wouldn't have given it up for the world. And I really do believe that all of the experiences that we have in life, on, on some level, that we chose them, that we're responsible. So when things like that happen, my, my question always becomes, well, what can we learn from this? Rather than why did this happen to me, my, my question is always why did I choose it? And, and that empowers people because when you think that, somewhere on some level you picked it there must be a reason for it and when we find the reason it it takes away that that need to feel powerless or to you know to, to blame outside sources or or to to think that we're being punished for bad things that happen to us in our lives no, I think after after level, death, do you think that people really understand why they why they chose it i mean if they think about it, do you think that they really do understand? It's not at first, I usually find. Um, and I, I do think that sometimes struggle with that idea because I, I know I had, um, I had somebody come up to me recently and say to me, but why would we choose this? What, you know, if, if certainly if, if the interlife space, you know, when we go home back to our, our, our soul group, if that place is unconditional love and it's so beautiful and it's so blissful, why would we come down here and experience all this suffering? And surely we wouldn't choose to, to go through this. And my answer is always that as a soul, we, we need to learn and grow. And the only way that we can do that is to experience all that life has to offer. So throughout our lifetimes, we will experience the absolute contrasts of fear, of love, of hatred, of joy, of poverty, of, of great wealth and riches, you know, being able, being disabled. And in the, in the spirit realm, there is no judgment about whether or not that's good or bad. There is no perception of whether having a lifetime of suffering and, and, and loss and lack is any better than one of abundance and, and joy and, and, and great celebration. Because it is what it is. They're all experiences that, that make up the... the if, I always think of it as, as, as being like a jigsaw puzzle. And in order for a soul to complete its work, to complete all of its lessons, I do believe that we have to experience every piece of the puzzle. And, and so there is no good or bad, really. Now, as a therapist, when you're working with someone... Um, have you ever seen the picture before they tell you and about their life and they're going to their... <laughs> Yeah, you've done you've done this stuff before, haven't you? <laughs> yes, yes. Yes. I very often do and um and it's quite funny because um that sometimes when people are confused about where they are or what their name is or what the date is, there is there, I sometimes have to bite my lip <laughs> because I know. I know where they are. <laughs> And um, and and I and I know what their names are, uh, but obviously I don't say anything because it's it's very key. I don't actually I don't lead anybody anywhere or try and influence where their session is. You know I'm very open with my questioning, but yes I do, and um, and I often see uh, the, the the thing running as as they're talking through it. So I kind of know right. where they're going to jump to next. 
<laughs> it's all, it's so so you go into that realm with them. Yes, yeah, very much so. Yeah, and we have complete time distortion. Uh, you know, the sessions take quite a long time. Uh, usually about b- between two and three hours. Because I'm very thorough. I don't. I, I I like to follow all the threads and and not leave anything that's been unresolved. And um, it's quite extraordinary afterwards because the the time distortion means that. Um, you know, it, it can sometimes feel as if days have gone by, or sometimes it can feel like five minutes have gone by, and um, and then you look at the clock and think, my my goodness, where did it all go? So yes, it's um, I get very involved. Do people do you have clients the transition right. uh, when you're working with them? Do they feel do do they remember on some level what they've said to you uh, in order to um, kind of interweave with that? with that message, with that lesson, so that they can carry it out in their real life? Do you just ta- or do you just tape it and, and then they re-listen to it? Um, what happens during that session? Uh, yes, they, well, I've only ever had one client who didn't recall everything, all the detail of the, uh, the, the, the process at the end, and, and she'd gone very, very deeply into the the hypnosis state, but the majority of people will describe the recall as being a little bit like describing a holiday memory. So on one hand, they're aware that they're sat in a chair uh, talking to me, uh, but on the other side, they are fully immersed into the experience, but they do remember everything. And um, I do record it for them so that they can... uh, listen to it back if, if they need to and I I, I think from my um, scribe lives from the past I, I managed to write everything down that they say as well so I keep a written record of it and then what I usually do is I write out the, the, the new uh, commitments and the new promises that they make for themselves and any key messages that they get from any of their soul group members so they take that away but they always recall and, and the one thing that's always really incredible is the amount of emotion that they experience through these sessions because often people say well what if they're just making it up you know what if this is just their imagination especially as they are partly aware and I always point out that if they were just telling a story if this was just their imagination they really wouldn't feel the emotions in the way that they do and uh, and they really do report it as if they're there and often people will describe smells and uh, you know the, the different sounds that they hear and, and they're aware of temperature they're aware of whether it's hot or cold so it's a really full on sensory experience and have um, you ever had to stop a session where because it, it was too um painful for the person to relive uh thankfully no uh, I mean, I do always say to people in, at, at the beginning that um, they're in control throughout the entire session, and I set up at the beginning uh, what I call a safe place. So it's a, a, an inner sanctuary that they create in their in their mind, and and I always tell them, look, if it gets too intense or too much, we'll float you out and we'll, we'll take you back to the safe place for a, a bit of respite or some healing. And in all the years I've been doing this work, nobody's ever gone there because once they're in the experience, they they just plough through it. And often, I mean, the most painful things are often the death experiences, although they're not always unpleasant. Often they, they, you know, they, they drift off quite peacefully. But even in that, and I know myself, I've had some really gruesome past lives where I've been burnt at the stake, and I've, you know, and I've had my heart ripped out, and all those kinds of things. 
you know, you don't stay in the, 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 the sort of horrible bits for very long. It, it's more of a, an awareness. You know, I'll move people to the, the, the next step or to the next part of it. And, uh, and, and because, they're, again, there is a sense that they are, if they want to be, just an observer in the experience, but they always know that they're safe. They always know that they can come out of it. So, and that I always point out that actually once they've relived those emotions and released them, that catharsis is, is really, really helpful because the body stores, you know, the energy body stores the imprints of the suffering and the trauma that they experienced. So being able to go back there and uh, experience the emotions from a safe place and release them so to, you know, they let go of the, the sadness or the, the, the pain or whatever it is let the tears go, then they've cleansed, they've released it. And because I always, at the end of the session, heal everything. We heal the physical body that they were in. We, we make sure there's forgiveness for all of the people that were involved in the life. And we make sure that at the end of the session, everything is resolved. They know exactly why they had that experience. They know what it was all about. They understand what healing needs to happen, and they know what they need to do in the current life in order to make amends or in order to, you know, to satisfy their, their, their soul's journey and learning, no matter how traumatic the session was, it always ends up. And no matter, you know, sometimes they're exhausted, but it's always a huge sense of relief, and it's always uh, a, a, a real sense of um, uh, empowerment at the end. You know, you now, have a, a section in um, on your book that talks about being burned at the stake, and when I was reading that. I, I, my heart and my whole body began shaking. Right. And I thought, <laughs> what is this? Am I, am I feeling empathic to you or am I experiencing a past life myself? Okay. And I, my, you know, I my, backed out of it. I mean, I realized right. what had happened. I thought, wow. And I became kind of like um, depressed and kind of, I thought, wow. I realized what it, something had happened beyond just, Normal yeah. reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and again, and this is what I, I say to people, you know, oftentimes when, if we, if we experience something in our life and, and we have an emotion attached to it, so either we're passionate about something or something really scares us, but it doesn't make sense to us in our everyday life, it's usually the residue of a past life that's coming through. And what I believe is that the majority of us that are on the spiritual path and those of us that are healers and, and those of us that are here now with these, um, these, these gifts and abilities and the desire to expand consciousness and, and, and speak the truth, I believe that all of us have had lifetimes throughout history as healers and as you know, wise men and, and wise women. And I do believe that the majority of us would have been persecuted and we would have been punished. And so it would probably be more surprising than not <laughs> to find out that, um, that that you'd had a lifetime where you were burnt at the stake. It's it's probably pretty likely. Yeah. Well, yeah. So now, can you go back? There's bad habits that we want to um, get rid of, like a inner critic or eating too much or yeah. smoking or alcohol, can you go back and fix those type of things? Well, what would usually happen is that uh, if they are running a, a program that means that they are being destructive, so and, and most of these habits are destructive, and, and what we know about habits is that a lot of the time 
they are a, uh, a means to distract from an unpleasant emotion or, or something that's going on. People will comfort eat or people will smoke because of nerves or anxiety. And it's, it's usually belying some unpleasant feeling that they've got within themselves or a negative belief that they have about themselves. So, yes, absolutely, what we would do is we would identify what that feeling is or the belief that they have, so whether they're punishing themselves or whether they don't feel good enough or whether they don't feel like anybody loves them or, you know, what the underlying thought is behind that negative behaviour, and then we go and find the past life where that belief, that, that negative idea originated. We go in and find out where that started, and then we heal that. And then we change that belief, we change the mindset that they have within themselves, which means that they no longer need to run the destructive behavior. And then part of what I do is also not just taking people back, but I take them into the future as well. And often with habits and, uh, and destructive behaviors, what I'll do is I'll take people into the future to see what life will be like if they don't give the habit up. And I float them five or ten years into the future, and they, they get to try on board what life will be like and what their body is going to be like if they carry on doing that. And it can be quite harsh because the unconscious mind doesn't mess. And, you know, there is an intuitive, wise part of people that, that knows uh, exactly what the, the, the consequences are going to be. And, uh, and, and I've often had times when, particularly at smokers, and they've said to me, well, I'm not there. You know, my, my body didn't hold out for that long, so it, it comes as quite a shock to the system. But then what I'll always do is, is then take them into the future, to the same time span, five or ten years in, when they change the habit, when they let go of it, and they get to step into their, their you know, a life of freedom from that habit and they get to see what life will be like and they get to experience the freedom and the, the, the joy that comes from it. They see how it impacts and affects not just them but all of the people in their world. And because they felt it, because they now know uh, what the, the, the outcome will be, because most people with habits don't look long term. They just want gratification immediately. They want it in that moment. So they'll reach for the food or they'll reach for the cigarette or the, the drink or whatever it is. But when we take the veil off, and, and get them to see the, the, the long-term results of, of what they're doing, then, again, that will help them to shift. What about the inner critic? I mean, there's so many of us that talk to ourselves and always we're putting ourselves down. Um, do you work yeah, with absolutely. past and future with that? I do, I do. And uh, in the book, there's actually a very practical exercise that people can do to... Um, to identify and, uh, and start to become consciously aware of that inner critic because, again, it's habitual. We, we learn uh, from an early age ways to communicate with both ourselves and others and, uh, and I do believe that we, we have almost like a recording, a program that's running behind the scenes that is, is just, it's like a default setting. It, it's, you know, it's pre-programmed, it's the way that we speak to ourselves and a lot of the time we don't even realise that we're doing it. So often I'll get people to, to, to work with a diary to start noting. Every time they make a mistake or something goes wrong, what is it that you say to yourself? What are the names that you call yourself? And by bringing that into conscious awareness and really identifying it and actually imagining what it would be like to speak to somebody else like that, people get a real shock. That, you know, it's, it's actually quite horrifying to them when they think about what, what this would do to another person. And then I point out that they're doing it to themselves. So 
really important that they uh, that they recognise it and change it. But yes, again, in the same way, once we identify what the, the the repetitive thought is, whether it's I'm not good enough or I'm lazy or I'm rubbish or whatever it is, we can go back to the past life that was uh, again perhaps responsible for for generating that for why they are why they picked that up in their childhood in this life. Because again, I do believe that these things that that we experience in our life that, that generate challenges for us, mostly, most of them, the, the powerful ones, will have a root somewhere in the past. And so going back and uh, healing the past life means that they no longer need to beat up on themselves, they no longer need to have a negative belief, and then they can start to reprogram and, and change the language that they use. And that's where I believe that, you know, really powerful positive affirmations can come in, particularly ones that they've written for themselves. There's a lot of stuff out there about affirmations, and I think that they do work. I think they're really effective, but there is nothing more powerful than an affirmation that somebody has found from themselves, one that their higher self has given them, because it's, it, that's about their truth. And, and then as they start to focus on those mantras uh, that, that have meaning for them, it's so much more powerful. Well, that makes sense. Because sometimes uh, we make affirmations that seem too big in our head. I mean, okay, we're saying this affirmation over and over again, but I don't really believe it. Absolutely, and belief is the key because, you know, in any of this work, you know, we have a we have a protection mechanism, you know, within our psyche, within our mind, and and whenever we say things that that part doesn't believe is true, it will just reject the suggestions. So again, I know that a lot of people who, who kind of work with the law of attraction and who decide on something that they want, and they, you know, and they, they, they constantly they, they desire it, they want it, and they, you know, they send out their request for it. But if they don't believe they're worthy, or they don't believe they're good enough to have it, then it's never going to happen. So again, sometimes it's about understanding that when we do make these affirmations, rather than saying, you know, I am the most confident person in the world, that, that the affirmation often starts with. Today I'm a little more confident, <laughs> and you just keep going and, until that's true. And then, you know, as that steps up, then you expand out the affirmation. When so you, you work have with people, uh, I'm sorry, Paula. Go ahead. I said you work with af- with people and their affirmations also. Then I do. Yes, absolutely. But as I said, the key thing for me is is not to prescript or uh, create an affirmation for them, but enabling them to... um, I always get them to communicate with their higher self uh, somewhere through the session. And particularly at the end of the session, I'll bring in either their guides or it might be... Uh, it might be somebody they know or it, it, again it might just be their higher self and very much in the future life work I get them to meet higher self and it's from that part of themselves that the affirmations come so it's from that inner part of them when you are um, working with people and they say what am I supposed to do in this life I I'm um, I see people when they say those questions, I kind of question because everyone has some special gifts that they're aware Mm. of, and they don't seem to make that connection. Is there a reason that they're unable to make that connection about what they're supposed to do in life and what their gifts are? 
Yes, I think so. And again, you know, I said earlier that we have amnesia when we come down into the earth plane. And, uh, and of course, part of the, the challenge in life often is to find out what our life purpose is. Uh, the work that I do that involves taking people into the space between lives, which is based on the work of Michael Newton, allows people to go in and meet with their soul group and they meet with their spirit guides and they meet with, you know, sometimes people call them the ascended masters or with elders, who give them advice and who tell them uh, often what you know, the life purpose was that they had chosen to experience. But again, what's quite interesting, and you know, I've had this experience myself, is that when I met with the, the elders and asked them about my life purpose, they said, well, your life purpose is to find out what your life purpose is. Go down there and get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes they're quite cryptic. And, uh, you know, and it was pointed out to me that um, sometimes that is the, the life purpose, to uncover, to, to, to learn to, to know thyself, to discover, to, uh, you know, to, to, to learn about who we really are. And uh, they're not always going to give us the answer because if we knew too soon what the life purpose was, then in some ways it would be a bit like you know, being shown the end of a movie before we started watching the beginning. Yeah, yeah. We have to let the story unfold. And I do believe that when, when people genuinely want to know, when people get to that point in their life, usually little signs will come up and there'll be a stirring within somebody that says, I know there's more. I know that there's something else that I'm supposed to be doing. And at the point at which they start to ask those questions, the signposts start to appear. Uh, I know myself when I was, uh, you know, I'd had a bit of a, a, bit of a near-death experience and some challenges in my life, and I was, I was in that space where I thought, well, look, I know I'm supposed to be doing something, but I don't know what it is. And I, I you know, almost said to the universe, you know, show me, I need to know. Can you give me a sign here? And then for about six weeks, everywhere I went, and every person I spoke to, and every article that I read, even if I was reading an article about sausages, somewhere in the article they would mention neuro-linguistic programming, NLP. And after six weeks of it, I thought, you know what? <laughs> I can't ignore this anymore. So I give in, and, uh, and I signed up for a course, which just happened to be uh, you know, starting in a, a, few weeks, a few weeks' time. And of course, when I got there, it was my gateway to hypnosis, and it was my gateway to all the things. It was literally like I'd been given the key to everything that I needed to do, and in that moment, all the, I had all the answers that I needed. So I think that, yes, I get that asked a lot. People say to me, what is my life purpose? And I say, well, you'll find out, you'll know when the timing is right, when the time is right for you to know. But the one thing that I do know about life purpose and, and, and you know, a constant theme that, that runs through every single story that I hear and all the lifetimes that, that people live, that no matter what it is that we're meant to be doing, ultimately the theme is about unconditional love. It's about being able to find that unconditional love for ourselves, and it's about finding that unconditional love for everybody else around us. And I think that's yeah. why the, the, the ability to forgive and to understand those around us and to step out of blame and, and even to go into gratitude for the people that test us and challenge us the most. Uh, I, I think that is ultimately our purpose down here on the earth plane, to find that place of love. You know, it's interesting you say that because <laughs> I know that 
you know, Paula and I are doing the radio, but if somebody would have told me that I'd be doing radio, I think I would have just stopped in my boots and just, <laughs> yeah, I would say, oh, yeah, sure, because I didn't really talk a whole lot when I was younger. <laughs> so to think that I would have to be on radio would really, right. you know, really fry me. <laughs> yeah. And well, again, I know my, my theme has been uh, communications because, I worked for a communications company for 26 years before Taz and I got together. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. And again, that's why sometimes people aren't told told what their life purpose is, because sometimes it's too big. (laughs) And and if they find out too soon, before they've they've taken all the other steps and they've accumulated all the the, the knowledge and the, the, the life learning that they need, sometimes it's a bit overwhelming. So the information doesn't present itself until that person's ready. Well, for now, me, it was like being excited, being excited to, I mean, I learned personology. So that was right. really exciting because I was able to help someone else see themselves in careers. And uh, it gave me um, uh, an excitement to be able to share with someone else and to bring happiness to their life. So. Yes. That then that transition was pretty easy because then I had something to be able to give to others, and yeah, wonderful. so the transition to TV and radio was pretty easy. Right, um, actually, right. it was exciting then. But if somebody yeah. would have said that initially, it would have been really upsetting. <laughs> Absolutely, L- Lorraine. Let's give out your uh, website to people because there's uh, so many things on your website that would be of help to a lot of people out there, plus your book. Yes. Yes. Well, so the book's Healing with Past Life Therapy, uh, which is um, published by Findhorn Press. And uh, the, the website is um, www.innerjourneys, which is I-N-N-E-R-J-O-U-R-N-E-Y-S.co.uk. And there's Are actually you there's a free recording on there that people can listen to that can take them into a positive past life experience to, to find out who they once oh. were. It's on the media page, and um, it just takes them into a lifetime where they had a skill or a talent or, or something positive that they can tap into. Mm. Oh, how fun. Okay. Uh, we're talking with Lorraine Flaherty, and her last name is spelled F, like in Frank, L-A-H, like in Henry, E-R-T-Y. And Lorraine, um, you know, it has been really exciting listening to you. It it really gives people hope to realize that we do have ways to, to understand our life, and you do it so eloquently. We're really lucky to have have you here to, to do this. <laughs> Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Now, how, are you going to be coming to the United States? Uh, I am, yes. I'm coming in, um, I'm coming at the end of January, and uh, I'm, I'm coming to L.A., and um, oh, you're going to be I've in got LA. to visit an expo. Oh. Yes, oh. So I'm, going, I'm doing the Conscious Life Expo uh, at the beginning of February, and uh, I'll be doing a talk at Mystic Books, Mystic Journeys Bookstore in LA on the 30th um, and then I'll be back again in, in May and uh, I think I'm doing the Bridging Heaven and Earth show and uh, doing some stuff with um, Sandy Sedgebeer as well in Las Vegas 
So are you going to be doing training any classes that other people can do this work? Uh, that's a poss- that is a very distinct possibility. Yes, once I come out and uh, and and get myself settled over there, then yes, that is a distinct possibility. Well, Las Va- Las Vegas and Los Angeles is not that far away, so maybe I, I'll be able to see you sometime soon. So, um, and people can order your book on Amazon. Yes, yeah, it's on Amazon. It's on Barnes and Noble as well. So again, give out your website, and uh, we want people to get on and 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 have some fun with your all the things that you have to offer on the website. Yes, so it's www.innerjourneys, which is i w n e r j o u r n e y s dot co dot uk, or they can go to lorraineflaherty dot com. So we are looking forward to having you at on the west coast and. Um, the uh, New Life Expo in Los Angeles is going to be really a, a lot of fun because there's a lot of people like Greg Braden and, and others that you will be with. So it's exciting to yes, have you there. Yes, I'm, do- I'm doing a talk there at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, I believe. So thank you so much for being with us today. Um, is there any last uh, message you want to give the people? Be kind to yourself. Forgive yourself, forgive others, and, um, yeah, ask questions. (laughs) Ask ask questions of self. Why am I here? Why am I experiencing this? And uh, and at all times, be aware that, um, you know, you need to take responsibility for you. We can only heal ourselves. And uh, when we learn to love ourselves and and, uh, stay in that space of love, then everything gets easier. And one thing I've learned from you today is as you heal yourself, you're actually helping others to heal that are around you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a very wise person once said that forgiveness is not about letting the other person off the hook. It's about healing your own heart. And I believe that's really true. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for Thank you so much for being with us, and we want people to get on your website and, and uh, look for events and look for the times that you will be out here on the West Coast. And I know you're going to be in New York too, right? I am, yes. I don't have the exact dates for that yet, but um, but I'm definitely coming out to New York, yeah, absolutely. And and you're going to Egypt? Uh, yes, right? Egypt and the Dominican Republic as well. Uh, I'm in talks at the moment for a, a retreat that I'm going to be running out there. And, uh, yeah, that that will be a lot of fun. And people can hop on your um, website and look for those uh, retreats because they look like they're, they will be wonderful. Yes, absolutely. So, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very Bye-bye. much for having me. It's been great. So everybody out there, we've been talking to Lorraine Flatter- Flatterty. And her book is... Healing with with past life therapy.